Welcome back to my dad's podcast, season two, My Blackest Challenge National. Follow him on Twitter or Instagram. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye! This is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. Wherever you like to find good podcasts, it's right there. It's there for you to listen. All right. Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you like to listen to good podcasts, this podcast is there. I ask that you subscribe. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast. Rate it five stars. Write your comments, write your feedback. Really appreciate the comments you leave. It's really beneficial for us being a better podcast for you all. You can also get in contact with us in various ways. You can find us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. Please follow us. If you want to follow me, the host, on Instagram, you can find me there at Black Transnational underscore. We're also on Facebook at Black Transnational. You can just find us on Facebook. That's our Facebook page. And if you want to email us, you can email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. Or you can just contact us through our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. So there are many ways you can get in touch with us. I ask that you do get in touch with us. I definitely interact. I get back to my people. You can DM me. You can message me on the, on the email, however you want to get to me. I definitely make sure I get back to you. Okay, so about today's episode and the conversation that I have. Yo, I just have to mention that... Stephanie, our guest, is by far one of the more interesting individuals that I've met. And she was introduced to me by a fellow listener, a good friend of mine who's a listener as well, and just highly recommended. And it was well worth the connection. Uh, She is a Cameroonian American who also identifies as a 1.5 generation immigrant, meaning that she came to the United States at a very young age. Even she was born in Cameroon, but immigrated at a young age to the South, Texas. She calls it the South. You'll hear it. All right. And she talks about her experience as far as language and also just her acculturation and assimilation experience in the United States and what that meant for her and how that led her on a path to loving language and loving culture. And she ends up eventually in China and she grows and immerses herself in China. And she now identifies as a Chinese, a China wonk. She identifies as a China wonk now, which I found very interesting and fascinating. And we get into a really rich conversation just about that initially. But this conversation in its entirety is two-phased, not two-faced. There are two phases of it. The first phase is her, is her ingesting with me about just her personal experiences you know, being an immigrant and being someone that loves culture and speaks many languages and just being an amazing definition of black transnational. But then we shift gears and really get into a dope conversation about the environment and and the environment, not just in the United States, but being environmental stewards in Africa and why black people aren't doing enough as environmental stewards. And this misconception that environmental stewardship is a white person thing, right? And we have to demystify that concept. So we really get into a rich conversation. I mean, truth be told, this conversation goes over an hour. I mean, and it's, and I lost track of time just because we really, and you'll lose track of time as you're listening to this because we we really touch and capture a lot of things. So I, I had an amazing time talking to 
Miss Stephanie Yoko and you know just some background on her she recently just graduated from John Hopkins University in International Affairs or International Studies so congratulations to her for a recent graduation during these times of COVID-19 definitely appreciate you taking the time to even talk with us Stephanie and I know that you're listening so she's an avid listener to the podcast and I appreciate that and I hope that you if you're a new listener subscribe and you enjoy it just as much as she did as well so yes great time again I hope that you all get into it provide your feedback um, but I'll stop at that without any further ado here's my conversation with Miss Stephanie Ioko. enjoy Hello, everyone, listening to My Black is Transnational. And for today's episode, we have on a special guest who I'm going to be gisting with. Um, her name is Miss Stephanie Yoko, who is joining us. And she is, just from her her background and her interests, I, I think you all will love what she has to say. She is in international studies. She is a Cameroonian-American who happens to have um, gone to John Hopkins. She went to um, University of Oklahoma. And then, you know, she also spent a majority of her time overseas in China, uh, immersed in the culture, and she's very fluent in multiple languages. I mean, I feel like she is the definition of what we do here at My Black His Transnational. So I'm very excited to have you on here, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful accolades. Yeah, um, I certainly appreciate up. that. But I am I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, I've been listening to your podcast at the advice of a friend. Um, and I'm just so delighted that I could be a part of it, honestly. That is awesome. I'm very um, appreciative of that. You know, we are slowly on the up and up, but I'm I'm glad that you so far like what you hear to the point where you're interested enough to join us. So, I mean, again, just want to know, you know, if you can tell the listeners that's a little bit about yourself, your background, and then, you know, then we'll get into the back and forth. But I, if you can let them know who you are, what you represent and everything else. I know I hyped you up already, but I want you to hype yourself up some more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, yes, I am Stephanie Yoko. I moved here at the tender age of eight um, from Cameroon, from Douala specifically. Um, and I moved to Texas and Dallas. And, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant and I am the children. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of, an immig- of, of immigrants as well. And I'm also a recent graduate at the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies and also an alum of Hopkins uh, Nanjing Center, which is a program that I did while I was in China. Um, I went to the University of Oklahoma, where I studied Chinese, international studies, and just sort of like um, China's relationship with the United States at large. Um, And I also went to school in East China Normal University and Shanghai University, where I really focused on China's um, rapid urbanization, and then also its environmental policy with the rest of the world um, and domestically. Wow. So I'm a bit of a China wonk. Um, I love talking about China. I love being in China's business, and I love seeing what um, China is doing in various nations. Um, and that has led me to a bunch of different places to sort of explore those questions, like what is China doing um, in Southeast Asia? What is China doing in parts of Africa? And that kind of research, um, and just sort of studying 
the energy and environmental implications of building a relationship with China. Um, so that's a little bit about me. And um, lastly, and I think most important thing about me is I consider myself a very staunch environmentalist. Mm. Um, and I feel like we are in a space um, or we are in a time where there isn't a lot of space for African and or African-American environmentalists, um, primarily because of, you know, um, what we have envisioned in, in our heads. Um, and what's fed to us to the media. So I definitely, um, I, I feel like our physical environment and social environment is so important, um, and we owe it to um, to Earth to sort of figure out ways to re- revitalize it. And that's, that's the most, if, if you get anything, that's the most important thing that I want everyone to know about me. That's fantastic. And you know what? I'm going to hold on to that. I've written it down because... I want us to kind of touch on that as we continue to have our conversation. So even if I forget, remind me, like remind me okay. on air. I don't care. I want to, I want to, I want to talk about your passion for environmental, um, for the environment and even from environmental health. I think that is very important for me to add for my listeners, because that's something that we don't talk about often. And I want to make sure we cover that. But before I get too distracted with that, I want to kind of pull it back because the couple of things that stood out to me, what you said was one coming in at a young age to the United States um, I kind of relate to that too because I immigrated to the U.S. and I just was—I think I was—I was eight—I was eight myself. So it was 1990. Um, it was 1997, um, and mm. coming from Nigeria, so we kind of fall into this category is what we define as 1.5 because we're kids of immigrants. <laughs> we're a 1.5 generation because we're the kids of immigrants. But we also were kids here in the United States. But then, like, mm-hmm. we also still have experiences growing up, you know, back home in Africa. And we can still recollect some things. But, like, it's not, we didn't fully develop there. We developed here, right? So we're, we're tweeners of sorts, you know what I mean? Like, yes. um, and I'm going to ask you, right, before, you know, I get deep into that, what does a China want for those who don't know? And I don't know personally. <laughs> I want you to explain that to me. Um, a China wonk is usually a person who has spent a significant amount of time in China, who has studied Chinese, uh, who hopefully speaks so well, and who just sort of studies China for what it is and where it has come from and what it's going to, um, and its implications, um, per se, on the more global landscape. Um, so I fall into that category of people. I study, I began um, studying Chinese in 2014. Um and I had a Chinese roommate while I was at the University of Oklahoma. And we, you know, I was like, I really want to learn this. Like, I want to learn this language. So I'm going to do it. And I did. Um, and I got a scholarship to go out to China. And that's just kind of where a lot of it started. Wow. Um, it was, you know, like, you've learned this, you learn that. And you sort of, you, you, like, you, you make space for yourself mm-hmm. in a space like China um, because there isn't a lot of space for you. Um, so the way that I made a space for myself was like, I'm going to, um, pardon me, but I'm going to kick ass. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I'm going to learn about these people. Um, and so like, that is obviously one part of the equation. And then like another huge part of the equation that is whenever I went back home to Cameroon to visit family, um, there was a person that this is like in 20, this is before my trip to China, mm-hmm. um, that there was a person on the plane with me and he was Chinese and he was telling me how he was going home to Cameroon. And I was like, me too. And he was like, me too. So we're just like, okay, well, 
where are you from? And he's like, oh, I'm from, you know, I'm from Cameroon. I'm Chinese, but I'm from Cameroon. You know, I've lived here for over 20 years. And I was just so fascinated by that. Wow. You know what I mean? And he was like, yeah, my family's here now. Um, I have brothers and sisters. Like, they've been coming in. Cousins, they've been coming in. We have a business here. And I guess growing up, I had never really seen a bunch of Chinese immigrants, right? Because um, um, because a lot of, like, the, the big numbers that you start seeing actually come from the, a second wave of Chinese immigrants that did not happen until the Belt and Road mm-hmm. Initiative started in Africa um, in, uh, in the 2000s, mm-hmm. in the late 2000s. Well, I guess, like, 2014? Yeah, mm-hmm. 2014, 2015, um, whenever Xi Jinping decided that, you know, he wanted to make um, Africa the next frontier. Mm-hmm. So it was really those two experiences. I was like, okay, well, this person is, you know, he's going back home to Cameroon and, you know, and he's, you know, he's Chinese and his family is here. And upon landing, I was like, wow, there are so many Chinese businesses in Cameroon. I had noticed this as a kid. I was completely, like, I was flabbergasted. Like, I had never seen something like that before. Like, I'm talking um, you know, like all of these huge signs that are in Chinese. And I was like, all right, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to do it. Um, and that's kind of where my relationship with the Chinese language and just with Chinese, China at large really began. You know, you kind of covered a couple of things I was actually going to ask you. The first question I was going to ask you was like, what was your upbringing like? Like, you know, being an immigrant or 1.5 and growing up in Dallas um, and in the Southwest, but then, like, how did that lead you to this to this um, passion for China and things that are related to the relationship between Chinese and African? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'm going to just ask straight up then, like, why China? Yeah, I ask myself that a lot sometimes, <laughs> too, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, and I would also right. like to add that um, Texas is in the South. Um, and please just give us that respect. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, we can't say Southwest. I'm sorry. You want the South? <laughs> no, I would like the South. Thank you. Th- um, <laughs> no, um, but I've, I, I love language. I love languages. I love being able to communicate with people. Like I love everything that has to do with, you know, seeing somebody who doesn't look like me and being able to communicate um, to them and mm-hmm. then also uh, it doesn't have to be English like I love that um, because I, you know English in itself it's a hegemonic language right mm-hmm. but like I want I want I want us to be able to speak and communicate in different languages um, so actually I grew up speaking French mm-hmm. that French is my first language um, and then my second language is Douala which is the language that we speak back home mm-hmm. um, where I'm from in Cameroon um, and I learned English whenever I moved here at in, um, eight years old. Um, if you probably, I don't know, like, I guess you're, where are you from, please? Nigeria. Remind me. You're Nigerian. Yes. So you actually, so you speak English. Yes, that's um, yeah, So you probably that. came in speaking pidgin English. Yeah. Um, so I came in speaking French. And them kids were like, we don't, sis, yeah. we don't, we don't know what you're saying. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, so for, for, you know, for, for a long while, at least a year, I did not speak. Um, it was so funny. Like you cannot get me to talk in school mm-hmm. for anything. Um, and I became this, this sort of, uh, odd mute kid. Um, and you know, I, I would still be going to my ESOL classes and stuff, but I, I didn't speak, I didn't speak a lot. 
um, it wasn't until like, I feel like teachers really were like, okay, like how do we find ways to incorporate this kid into our curriculum? <laughs> um, got to get the mute and I, going. And, yeah. And then I really started, and then I decided that I wanted to be a kid who spoke Chinese, uh, spoke English. So I really, really worked hard at it. Um, and did, and, and, you know, as a kid, it's actually, it's, it's much easier for you to learn languages. Mm-hmm. It's much, much easier for you. Mm-hmm. So we would speak French at home. I would speak English at school. Um, and then, you know, as I was growing up, I was like, I want to learn, you know, I want, I want to be a person who speaks other languages too. Like other things outside of what I already know. My dad speaks fluent Portuguese and Spanish mm-hmm. because of his job. Um, and I was like, I want to do the same thing for myself. So I picked up German. Um, and German is, I guess, my fourth language. Um, and, 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 and it's one that I also use often with my family that lives in Germany. Um, so all this to say is that, um, language has always been a, it's, I mean, it's always been a huge part of my life. Cameroon in itself, let, like, you know, let me remind folks, like over 300 languages in this mm-hmm nation mm-hmm. you know what i mean over 300 languages and my father spoke so many of them my mother spoke and um, spoke so many of them my grandparents speak so many of those languages you know what i mean and they're able to sort of switch it up um and i think sometimes we just assume that um in a lot of these um, um african nations right like we all just sort of have clicking sounds this is something that I, I picked up as a kid people would make clicking sounds towards me mm-hmm. um and even for me growing up in Cameroon I didn't really know what that meant because South Africa you know like is not super close to Cameroon right like that? I like click clicky I didn't what even like that? I that, huh <laughs> so what I is like, that like that clicking noise what is that I don't I, I've, what been, is that? I've been there I've been there before I've experienced that clicking noise and I'm just like when people are like oh you speak African they get the they start doing all like, that stuff. I, what is that? You're like, what is that? What's wrong with your motor functions? Like, I don't understand. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I feel you on that one. God. Um, and it was so weird. I remember coming home and telling my parents, and they were like, oh, they think you're speaking Sosa. And I was like, oh, I don't really, because, you know, I've been so used to, to like everything being in the Cameroonian context, mm-hmm. but it actually didn't even dawn on me that like, wow, there. I mean, like, like I knew it, but I didn't really know, no, because everything was there's Douala, there's Basa, there's Yambasa, there's you know, there's uh, uh, there's like there's just so many languages. I can I can speak about this like all day. Mm-hmm. Like those are the languages that I knew. So for someone to be you know, it kept me making fun of me, and you know, but, but again, like this just speaks to how huge the continent is and how rich it is um and just how powerful our ability to communicate can be and um, and is yeah. so it's, it's it's amazing really it really is it's so that's kind of where it all started it's just like my fascination with language and being able to communicate it's fascinating i mean even just hearing you talk about it with so much passion and zeal it's so fascinating because you know when you think about how we're everywhere, I mean, let's just be real, like Africans, we've emigrated to many countries, but sometimes it doesn't dawn because especially when you, you're in the United States for so long, right? Like the, the imagination of an, of, a, of an African person or a black person speaking Chinese just seems so, it doesn't seem to fit in the puzzle of people's minds when we think about black people. Right. French is okay Mm -hmm. because we see so many of them. Right. And all the other native tongues that come with being African and being from the continent. 
But I want to know what were the reactions from people who are natives of these respective countries that you learned the tongue, the vernacular of? Like, what was their what was the reaction when they saw a black woman coming to them and you're speaking fluent Mandarin or speaking fluent German or French? Like, how did you you know how did they take it when you lived in China, for example? Um, it's especially with Chinese. Like, I just people already look at me um, a lot in China. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always trying to figure out like what I'm doing or X, Y, and Z. Like, they want to follow the black person to see what's up. Yeah. Um, and you know, whenever I'm able to sort of push back and, and you know, in a, in a sense, apply pressure, like if someone will, will say something to me in Chinese that is obviously offensive, and I'm able to sort of respond back, and all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like, they're not, like, like it, it's almost as if their antagonistic spirit just sort of leaves them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and they're just confused. It's, it's like watching somebody go through a series of emotions <laughs> where one, they're frustrated at you and they're calling you a monkey and then they're confused by your demeanor and then they're like, wait, did you just respond back to me? And did you, what? Like, who, what is this? And then they're intrigued, right? Like, they're asking you questions. You're like, what? Like, pretending to so good. Like, what did you learn in? Blah, blah, blah. I can't tell you how many times where I've actually like gone to lunch or, or like get a cup of coffee with somebody in China because they were saying something to me and I was able to respond and all of a sudden they want to know more about me. You know what I mean? And that is just sort of the beauty of cross-culture exchange yeah. to be able to take a step back and sort of see where you're wrong and be like, actually, can I, may I bring you in? Yeah. Like, may I do that? Um, and it's, and, and it's, and it's almost, it's very, it's a wonderful, um, but there's also like a contrast to that, right? Like there's also the times where they're like, why, like, why are you here? You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing here? Like, you're just probably from another backwards country, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, then I will even go, um, I actually want to go deeper and also explain the fact that it, it's different depending on where you are and what kind of, de- like, demeanor you possess, mm-hmm. in a sense. Because, so I grew up um, in America, um, but obviously very keen to my Cameroonian roots. Um, but I also know that, like, whenever I was hanging around with, um, you know, people from Ghana or people from Cameroon, people from Cote d'Ivoire, mm-hmm. like, they would be treated differently. Um, and a lot of it has to do, again, it comes back to um, English. It goes back to your ability mm-hmm. to speak. It's like how you speak sort of determines how you're treated, yeah. um, which is very similar, in a sense, to how, um, you know, folks operate here in the U.S. of A., um and we sort of see that like like those behaviors and patterns are making their way and they're sort of moving along the global economy and you start seeing it in places like um like asia particularly in china and i find that so fascinating right like someone can tell like oh you don't sound like the american that i heard from this tv show (laughs) or you don't look like them either or you don't dress like them and the fact that they're you know they're able to sort of do that and recognize that and also treat black people um, from all over in varying ways, like that in itself becomes problematic and you end up having discussions about that. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it becomes kind of tough navigating, navigating that. Um, because there was at one point, um, most of my friends living in China this last time, um, are from Ghana and I spent a lot of time, you know, cooking it up with them, chilling with them. 
Um, but I also find myself having to prove my Africanness in a sense because I also wanted them to feel like, um, you know, the Chinese people weren't just treating them a certain way. They were treating me that way too. Right. Um, and ended up leading to this very fascinating conversation about just like, like you kind of have to, like you have to accept your privileges and then just use them for, for other things. And like, you're not using them to sort of pull back, but you're using your privilege sort of like pull in and have those conversations. And that's what, you know, I've, I've been trying to do because there is a different way that I am treated versus what, um, you know, somebody who grew up per se in, um, in Africa is treated. Yeah. Because there's this authentication that process that you kind of have to go through. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's interesting because I was going to ask you, like, you know, what has been your experience as far as, you know, remaining transnational? How often, you know, do you and your family keep in touch with Cameroon or just, you know, the African countries? And it seems like you all are pretty keen to still preserving the culture in the United States, but it seems like you all still have ties to to the homeland, right? Yes, so many. So I grew up with my grandmother, um, both in Cameroon, but also here in the States. I was so fortunate um, that she was able to come live with us for, for a long while. Like this, this woman would wake me up every single morning and she'd take me to the um, to the bus stop and she'd be wearing, you know, all like the whole thing. She'd, you know, the whole thing. The I'm talking her kaba. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in French, we call it uh, the kaba. So she'd be wearing it at the bus stop and it was just so, <laughs> she was just like the cutest thing in the world. Um, but also just sort of having her here um, and having her, uh, like, because she doesn't really like to speak French. She calls it the colonizer's language, mm. as she should. Um, <laughs> so she would always speak um, in, in Yambasa with my mother. So um, on my mother's side, she's Yambasa. On my father's side, he's Bakoko. Um, and she also spoke Bakoko, so she would also um, speak with my father. And she would speak to me in both languages because she thought it was just important for us to learn it. Mm. Um, but just sort of having it here is just always like it's a way for me to connect back. So my grand my grandfather um, has three wives on my mother's side. So I have a lot of aunts and uncles who still live uh, in Cameroon that I'm able to sort of talk to. I have a I have a lot of cousins I can talk to. Mm. Um, I mean, it's. I honestly feel truly just just blessed to be able to have that community of people who live back home that I'm able to, to visit at any given time that I'm able to sort of call and ask, Hey, can you help me with the spice? Like, <laughs> like what, can, like, you know, like, can you send me the spice right. or can you like, I'm making the soup today. Um, do you have some time to walk me through it? Right. Um, especially during quarantine, right? Where we're, we're all just sort of home and mm-hmm. we're and and, and, we, and we have all this time with our thoughts. I'd be using this time to connect with my family and ask them about, you know, the foods we ate back home and how I can recreate it here so I can feel close to them. I, you know, and, and my mom, I'm sure she's tired of me, but I call her weekly almost we're almost at the point where it's daily to ask her a question about that so we definitely still have a connection um back home and i and i and i'm really so fortunate to be able to have that really so i'm going to just ask you because i feel like it's um it goes without saying you have a whatsapp account right i do of course you do. and we have a group chat <laughs> i have a couple <laughs> you have to right it's either you have a whatsapp you have a viber Right, like you have to have something in order to be able to stay in touch, and that's normally like the world-renowned official 
like the official tool for staying in touch with family members back in Africa is WhatsApp. (laughs) And then Facebook, of course. But yeah. But WhatsApp is so funny um, because, okay, so quick quick side note here. I'm going to tell you a little story um, because my family loved that I speak Chinese and they loved that I lived in China. Um, They didn't really... They didn't really love it this time around because of, you know, COVID, COVID-19. and the implications <laughs> oh, God. there. Really um, then, <laughs> you know, my mom is always posting in the group chat, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying 10 times today because my, do- my daughter is no longer in, um, in yeah. China. And everyone's like, amen, amen, <laughs> it's great. Um, and I appreciate the love, right? But <laughs> I'm also their in-house China expert. And it has been a long <laughs> road trying to... There, first of all, there is a lot of mess on the internet. I would just like to just say that there is yes, a lot indeed. of just misinformation yes, um, on the internet, yes. and I think you know they they really get spread via WhatsApp. Yes, and it finds it, it. It's always coming from one of your your your, your uh, extended family members. Whatever misinformation <laughs> that they have copied and pasted, it comes in a video. Something is going to be a very long forwarded message from your relatives. And it's misinformation all the way through. All the way through. Like, there's, like, nothing. But, I mean, so recently they, they were, like, Stephanie, tell, um, well, they don't call me Stephanie, which is, like, a whole other thing. Um, but they were, like, La Hose, you know, please tell us about what's happening here um, in China. You know, why they, um, they, they really get coronavirus from eating these dogs. Oh, I see, okay. like, I, there's this video and it has the steaks of the dogs and I'm just like, oh God, okay, well, time to put on my China hat on and like explain <laughs> to them like this isn't what's happening. This is you know, this is how like just try to break down all of these ridiculous um information that goes to our WhatsApp channel. Um or it's like a racism thing and like you know, or they're saying something that is offensive Chinese people and I have to sort of hop on them on that. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, right? Like mm-hmm. It's not. Um, I've had, <laughs> I've had, especially during these times where I've been trying to, you know, tell people like it's important for you to educate yourself, especially when it comes to uh, coronavirus and how it was transmitted, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I still feel like there was like a lot of discrimination, especially towards Asian Americans and then also a- Asians at large that sort of began happening and like having to take a step back and like, you know, talking to your family and friends about those things can mm-hmm. be tough. Um, and I've had to do that a couple of times too. Um, so that has come up a, a, a bunch too. And it's, and it's always weird because they'll be like, well, Steph, like you're just saying that, um, because you're almost like an apologizer, you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I'm a person who can be critical of one thing and also respect it for what it is. Right. Like I can be critical of, of China's fake, um, in parts of Africa. Um, and then I could also like, you know, had loved my experience there and thought it was quite enriching and learning about different cultures, Mm -hmm. right? Like I could do two things at once and that has become really tough. And that's something I'm still sort of like finding a, trying to find a happy medium through. Yeah. You know, you're, it's interesting you bring that up because when I have conversations with, with my parents and my parents are educated, right? It's not like, it's not like they're not, but you still get those (laughs) hints of just that, that, that ignorance of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Like my dad will hit me up or like, not my dad particularly, but one of my relatives will hit me up and just be like, yo, you know, these Chinese people, 
They just stay mm-hmm. everywhere. Like why? Mm-hmm. They, why do, they're the ones that are causing this whole thing? Eating their dogs, their cats. They're they're they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're like ants. They are, they go everywhere in the country. They won't just go and stay in their own country. And I'm sitting there looking at them like, seriously, is this really your energy <laughs> right now? You talking about other people need to stay in their country? Meanwhile, sir, you're here. <laughs> like you're in the United States. Like the I mean, they have. You know, there obviously there's always something. There's always something with some population, but having to explain to them like, yo, there's you can't just be racist like this because when it's brought on to you, you have complaints and you're throwing that same energy right back. But it's so it's so um catalyzed by what they find on Facebook, what they find on WhatsApp that's shared with them, right? Just saying that these people, quote quote, are trying to take over. They're, they're, they just, they spread like, like bees. They just don't want to, they want to, you know, destroy us. It's the Chinese people's fault. And I'm like, I, I just think, you know, I say all that obviously as I'm venting to you, but I also want you for those who are listening, who may actually have these thoughts silently. I would like for you to just share a couple of tidbits if you can about some things that are wrong that need to be um, corrected as far as misinformation. So I might be asking you to put on your, your China hat for us here as well, just for education purposes. Of course, of course. And you bring up so many things that I just, I think about a lot. Um, and well, as far as just COVID goes, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation, um, about how it was contracted, right? Like, I think we have to leave cats and dogs out of this and Mm -hmm. think more so back. Um, and think of wet markets, um, think of, um, especially if, you know, there's Africans listening, think about how you purchase, um, I, like items whenever you're back home, right? It's a very similar market, right? Like mm-hmm. whenever you go buy mm-hmm. your, um, your chicken, whenever you go buy your, your, your pork or whatever it is that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a meat eater. So I'm like, yeah. All of that, we're, it's basically the same thing. Right. Um, they pretty much look the same, right? <laughs> um, so just just think of it as a wet market. But as far as just um, more so just sort of racist remarks towards Chinese people at large, um, I think the thing that probably annoys me the most is the Ching Chong thing. Oh, yeah. um, I think oh, that man. frustrates me the most. And I think because I just, I, because I love language so much, I would hate for someone to reduce what you know people took time to work and work on and refine and like i would hate for us to reduce it to something Mm. right that it's not um and i think that for like that is probably my biggest frustration and i think we have to really actively work on that and then just sort of making ridiculous assumptions i think you really have to put, uh, put yourself in a put yourself in like in their place um and that's incredibly important for us because you know like all of these stereotypes, they're very similar to the ones that we got as kids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're not that far apart. Um, but again, it's, it's humanity as a whole hasn't gotten to the point where we're able to take a step back and put ourselves in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting there and we're working on it. And I hope that, you know, next gen of folks are um, mm-hmm. better than us in that regard. Absolutely. And I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit to something a little bit more focused on the U.S. And I want to talk more about your experience because you mentioned in the beginning that 
you coming in um, from a francophone country such as Cameroon and speaking French and then having to commit yourself to speaking English and being a meep kid and, you know, that whole concept. What was your experience like as far as how you started to identify yourself, you know, in, in regards to the relationships between you as an African immigrant compared to those who were African American? Like, did you find yourself blending in easily? Did you have to separate yourself? Like, what was that experience like as far as your relationship with African Americans once you arrived here? Yeah, so that's a good question. I, I, it's a question that I sort of avoid thinking about because mm. I'm still in that process. Um, and I thought I really had it figured out growing up. Um, and I quickly realized, you know, in school that I didn't. Um, and and I will give you a couple of examples, but let me just touch on who I thought I was as a kid, and, you know, that upbringing. Yeah. So. Um, obviously, as a kid who was being made fun of or, you know, constantly, for me, like, the best way that I could express myself was just being mad. Like, you know, post-learning English, I became a really frustrated kid. Like, I wanted to be cool, but mm. it wasn't cool to be African. Mm. Like, I wanted to be, you know, doing this or doing that, but it just it wasn't cool to do it because, again, I don't know, it's like it's, it's like having... Um, it's like being a skunk and having a smell follow you. And the smell was this reminder that you were African mm. and, and then all the implications that came with that. Um, so for example, they'll be like, Oh, and, and it would be actual smells, right? Like, Hey, you smell like fish. Okay. Well, sorry, but my mom Throws woke up this down. morning and decided that she wanted to start boiling stock fish. Right. I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like, I've been there. I've been there, man. I've been there so much, but keep going. Keep uh, preaching to us. But, um, you know, like, that's just a really small example. But, like, those like those are my experiences. Therefore, trying to fit in with kids at recess or wherever, like, it just doesn't work. So I became really upset, and I wanted to look for ways to retaliate. Mm. And some of the ways I did that was just uh, not being the nicest kid. I really started to, to be the kid my parents didn't want me to be. So funny enough, there was a time when my parents would also um, be, like, just – completely prejudiced towards African-Americans. They'll be like, do you see these kids over here? You were not them. Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. You are this kid. You are like, like, like you are this kid from back home and you do this. This is how you behave. This is how you talk. This is how you dress. This is how you are a respect, respectable kid. Mm. Right. Um, and that's like, that's the narrative that I heard at home. So whenever I went outside, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be whoever I want to be. And part of that involved me like, you know, getting involved with, like, really bad kids who were just, like, doing just, you know, god-awful things that mm. I I had actually, like, no business doing, right? But, like, that was how I, you know, handled being at home. Like, that's how I handled, like, what they were telling me, you know what I mean? And my parents, I consider them fabulous humans. Um, but this is also, I think, what a lot of um, immigrant kids end up feeling you know what I mean like your parents don't want you to be these uh, these people that they call akata mm -hmm. which doesn't really it, it just has a negative connotation Does right it? like oh like God. that's what it is it just has a very negative connotation do Cameroonians you know what I mean? use like, the term akata as well huh do Cameroonians use akata as well 
Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh, I did not yes. know that. I thought they had a French <laughs> word for it. That's crazy. No. Girl. No. So Cameroonian is French, and it's French-speaking, it's also English-speaking. There's a couple of words that, like, borrows um, from teaching English. So oh. I thought that was one of the words that made it over. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> oh my God. So, so I grew up hearing that, so I was like, you know, I'm going to be, like, I want to be cool. So the way that I'd be cool is I have to act like an African-American. Mm-hmm. What does acting like an African-American mean? It means hanging out, and I'm talking hard. Mm. with you know some of the kids from the neighborhood and that's what I did and then I quickly realized well I didn't really quickly realize uh, my track coach realized and was like none of this you're not doing any of this right. this no um and <laughs> really got myself together but like that was the way I, I, I sort of coped um with being an African kid and just kind of wanted to be a kid who just wanted to fit in, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in, in high school, it wasn't until, like, I met other um, – I, I met um, my best friend, who was an African-American girl, and then the other two were from Nigeria. And we just sort of formed, a, like, like a group, a sort of a community, a tribe of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were we were able to sort of talk about our – varying experiences at home um and it made me really appreciative right because so there was a girl she is um she's Edo there's okay. another girl um Edo from Nigeria yeah. that's her, her her tribe um and then another girl who's Yoruba um that's her tribe and then you had me who was from the first speaking part of Cameroon um and then there was um our home girl uh, from Oklahoma, like we were just like in the mix and we're still, you know, good friends today. But like, like that's the thing. It's like, you know, you wanting to fit in, but like not realizing that the world can be a little forgiving. And, and, and I feel like I found that sort of forgiveness through these group of girls, mm-hmm. right? The fact that they were able, we were all able to accept ourselves, even though we all went home and had very, very, very different experiences yeah. with our parents and the languages that we spoke and how we interacted with our families. Um, and we were able to sort of take ourselves in. And I think that is, that was from the, that was probably the, the most fundamental um, part of my, my upbringing as far as I think about relationships goes. Uh, that in itself really helped mold me and see that like, you can be part of a group of people, but you could also go back home to, to like your own culture at the house, mm-hmm. whatever that may look like. Mm-hmm. But you can also show up for one another in different ways. Um, so, yeah, that that was fundamental for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things that you're saying are things that I relate to very well. Growing up, especially the smell of the stocks fish on you when you are coming to school. There's nothing you can do. <clears throat> Smelling the soup where your mom is throwing down at home and they, it's, the smell is, you know, to you, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you just go and, and go and try to you know, air it out and there's just nothing you can do. But I've, I've experienced that as well in addition to just being called the names. But it's funny how now being African is so cool compared to how I wasn't back then when we were growing up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool now. It's so cool to be African. And I think, you know, I, one of the things that you mentioned as far as that forgiveness and that reconciliation really stands out to me because that's one of the things that I try to to talk about a lot more and even at nauseum as far as that being able to use, you know, in your case, language as a way to build that bridge between both African-American and African-immigrant communities. Um, I just find it so, not astounding, I should say not outstanding, but astounding 
um, just the fact that even Cameroonians and Francophonic countries, even though it's a little bit of a blend in Cameroon, they still mm-hmm. use, they still know that term Akata because I, I made an episode about it at the end of my first season of this show and really went into town about that term. But it's something that is very hard to kind of repress in the in the African American mm-hmm. community. It's so hard to get them to stop saying that. Uh, and and I think it's it just kind of it just kind of hit me when you mentioned that you know like wow like that's crazy it's spread to even French speaking countries, um, but you know one of the things that I when you were also talking I was thinking about it in the sense of before we I want to still talk about the environmentalist in you but I was just imagining like when you're talking about your parents so like when you told them like hey mom hey dad or your know, grandma like I'm going to China, right? Like I'm going to China for two years. Like, what was that reaction? Because I always think like as African parents, you know, African parents, we we and I say we now because I'm a parent too, but like we tend to find ourselves in this. Obviously, there's so many things that we expect for you in life to be, and we want you to be all these things. We want you to go to college and graduate, but you know, you have to come out with something that's always like doctor, lawyer, engineer, blah. You know, one of those things like. What was that experience for you when you graduated college and you were like, okay, look, I'm going to China. Like, how did your people react? So actually, I went during college and um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to China in about five months. And my dad was like, what? What are you saying? I was like, dad, I told you I was like, I was learning in school. I'm going to go do it so that I can like really get my Chinese language skills up. And he was like, are you for real? I was like, yeah. Oh, he was like, oh, okay. He 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 thought that I was joking, so he didn't didn't really take it seriously. And then I like told my mom, I was like, yeah, so I picked the school, mm-hmm. and this is what I'll be doing. This is where I'll be staying, and like how we're gonna figure this out. And she was like, you're you're really going to China? I was like, yes, I'm I'm going. Um, and it wasn't it was that's actually the most adult decision that I made, um, or at the time had made. I think I was maybe. I was maybe eight. I was maybe eighteen. Okay. Yeah, I was maybe eighteen and a half when I when I when I was like planning all this out, and I told them that I was going to go. It wasn't a matter of I'm asking you like for permission. It was I'm going. I have the scholarship money. Um, here's what'll be paid for. Here's what's included, and here's mm-hmm. what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that struck a particular nerve with my parents. Not a bad one, but a one that that was like. She she wants to do this, so she's going to do this. Um, it, I think what became harder was whenever I was, um, you know, phoning from back home. I mean, um, phoning from China about my experiences and, like, having those really hard days where you feel like the whole world is against you and, like, you're calling your mother, and, you know, it's the middle of the night and you're crying because people just don't like you today, mm. right? Like, it, I think that's whenever they were kind of, like, keep like do you just want to come back like can you come back like we don't want you to experience this or like whenever like you get sick because the pollution is so bad right and they want to take your tonsils out because they're completely infected and your parents are like no you're like you're coming home next week and you're just like no i have to figure out a way to manage this right like if that means i have to you know call one of my chinese friends to help me translate this because at the time whenever i got sick i didn't really I mean, my Chinese language skills were there, but, like, I couldn't tell you what a tonsil was in Chinese, right? right. right? Um, and, and so, yeah. So, like, it's I, I, I think during that time, they were very 
frustrated and just sort of confused. Um, and I think they tried to hide it as I was making plans to go, but it really showed up when I was there. Mm. Wow. No, that's... Uh, <laughs> go ahead. No, and, um, and I'm really fortunate that I have parents that were like that um, and that really believed in my mission. Um, and I think my father... I grew up listening to 90.1 KRA and my dad talking about Gaddafi for hours mm-hmm. out of hand. Um, so I think that he understood why I was doing this and why I wanted to, or like why I want to be a, a, a person in international affairs and why I'm so passionate about the world we live in. I think he understood that because in a way he instilled it. Right. So that's just like the, like the world that I, I I grew up in and, you know, my idol, people were asking me as a kid, who do you want to be when you grow up? I'd be like Kofi Annan. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I think because they knew that about me, they were comfortable in letting me go, but it still was difficult. So is the UN in your future plans? I might as well ask that now too. Yeah. So I, um, as of next Wednesday, uh, May 20th, I'll be a graduate from this institution. Um, and right, so the past few years, um, the past two years at least, my focus, well, actually, no, it's not three years, it's really started in China. Uh, my focus has been really on the environment, um, resource management, um, and economics as well. So I've spent a lot of my time just sort of understanding that in the both American, but in also um, global context and what we can do as citizens of this world to 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 conserve this earth um, because in a way like I, I'm scared for us in that regard like I don't think we're doing enough um, so that's kind of where I am right now um, in what I'm doing let's stick to that topic because I was going to bring that up so when we talk about the environment and just the health of the environment and trying to practice better better ways to take care of our environment. I think about Africa. And even <laughs> I think about my country, Nigeria in particular. I don't I've never been to Cameroon or any you know, I've been to Ghana, but you know, West African countries are so dirty. And I'm not saying that in a denigrative, you know, not speaking down, but I just think about what I see as far as the pollution and just the the garbage that's on the road and all, you know, there's just no practice, as far as I'm concerned, of proper environmental um, care. So, like, what do you what do you think, especially from from you and your in your uh, from your standpoint in international affairs? What do you think of some ways to kind of like address these issues, especially with the infrastructure that Africa has? Um, it's it's incredibly complex mm-hmm. um and well here let me try to figure out a way to frame it because in the african context um you're dealing with a lot you're talking about poor resource management you're talking about excess research resource extraction mm-hmm. um you are talking about just dumping like you were talking about e-waste being dumped. Yeah. You were, yeah. um, you're talking about waste in general from various nations being dumped yeah. um, in, in different parts of Africa. Um, and it is so, I think you're talking about garbage in, in the ocean, which, you know, like there's just so many things. Um, and I think 
like, I don't know if you can recall this here. So I'm going to just off the bat ask you a question. Do you remember any kind of like education on environmental stewardship, you know, as you were growing up here in the States? No, <laughs> like okay. that, that didn't, that didn't happen until, I mean, even recycling and stuff, those things didn't really hit, even hit me until I got to college. Okay. So like that, okay. So that like your, like your first experience with it was in college, yeah. right? Like that is a long time to have that, you know what I mean? Like that, that yeah. to me, I find it so frustrating because that was a long time to have that, that education mm-hmm. and we are living in a developed nation, mm-hmm. right? Um, so like, I, like, I want to use it as a contrast because like you, you lived here as did I went to school here, um, and did not, not at one point have, you know, any sort of education about environmental stewardship apart from maybe Earth Day, maybe Arbor Day, you know, where you planted a tree or something, maybe. Um, so imagine what is happening, um, in a nation, you know, in part in, 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 on, on the continent, right? Imagine what's happening in Ghana. Imagine what's happening in, um, in Nigeria, in, in Cameroon, in Cote d'Ivoire, in Congo. You know what I mean? Like, that isn't top priority, hmm. right? If you think about the priorities of states, it isn't necessarily trash. Like, that comes later on as you develop, um, like, if you're following, you, you know, a typical sort of developmental um predictory um but i will say that for the continent it's it's even more complex um because i feel like our relationship with the earth has just sort of changed um and i think that's what ends up happening whenever you live in a capitalistic society um society right like your priority is producing right Mm -hmm. in no way does like in nowhere does it say that you also have to do things like clean clean up your mess yeah yeah, it doesn't say that, right? It's production, mm-hmm. it's consumption, mm-hmm. and no, like there is no space for it. Um, and I think that is sort of my biggest frustration. Um, and then you, and then like I was saying earlier, like your priorities are different. Like you're worried about having, um, making sure people have access to water, yeah. right? Yeah. And sanitation. Yeah. You're not, you know, like you're not talking about hiring garbage workers so that they can go put this in the recycling bin and then compost the rest. We aren't even doing that here, right? Um, so it takes it, it, it's, it's going to take a while. Um, but my biggest concern isn't even on the trash, right? Like because mm. that is a mat- I mean, that just looks bad, right? Yeah. But if you think about what actually ends up hurting, um, you know, humans as far as human health go, it's the burning of that trash, yeah. right? It's the coal production, it's the natural gas production, right? It's not sustainable growth. Right. Like that is what is going to have more long term effects on the continent. So we really have to prioritize making sure that our, our energy transition is one that is based on renewable energy. Right. So like those are that is kind of what I've been um, sort of sifting through um, and, and trying to work on is making sure that we have a transition that makes sense that people have access to clean and reliable energy on the continent. It's so um, so that we're so we're not taking you know we're not writing up RFPs so businesses in China can come build another yet another coal generating power plant, right? Yeah. So I mean, and that's that's right there. You just try to delineate 
a very complex situation because it's like which one comes first and especially when we're talking about yeah do we burn the trash or do we take care of water sanitation and or do we take care of water sanitation but we also especially speaking from for nigeria in particular do you you know how do we get consistent light consistent electricity yeah like, you know what i mean like yeah. how do we oh man it's right it's like how many people have access to reliable electricity exactly you know what I mean? And, and, and it's almost a chicken and the egg, right? Because mm-hmm. some folks, you have one camp of people that are like, no, you need to have reliable electricity. You have another camp, which is where I fall into, and it's you need to have clean and, and reliable electricity. But emphasis on clean, mm. right? Um, because I don't want us in a place where we are putting on these sort of high capital um, expenses on these very expensive, expensive coal fire power plants that have a lifetime of 20 years and we're trying to oh now that we have electricity let's let's clean it up well you have to shut that coal power plant in order <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and it's it, and it actually hasn't even you know um um lived its whole life so you have they have to think about tariffs are you gonna like charge people extra now that you have done this you know like you know what i mean like yeah. there's just so many developmental <laughs> issues that i want to to spend more time working on and, you know, um, creating metrics that work. Um, so I think it, it, it's so tough. But I mean, also in the American context, um, I've been thinking about this a lot too, um, particularly in the African-American context. I feel like feelings towards nature um, also are conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not as bad as you would say, perhaps, um, on the continent, but I think for most of American history, especially upon the arrival of Europeans or, you know, Europeans turned Americans, nature and land was used against the bodies of black people. You know what I mean? Like they were forced to work on it. They, mm-hmm. they needed to read tobacco, rice, cotton, and they were deprived of that money that came from it. Right. It mm-hmm. was not a beautiful thing. It was slavery. Mm-hmm. So it's incredibly complex here in the States now where like, we're talking about the environment a ton, but people don't feel as close to it anymore. Um, so I want us, um, one, um, you know, if anyone gets anything out of this and, and, um, I I really hope they get this, it's like first, you know, mending our relationship with the environment and looking at what that looks like. Um, and then, you know, focusing on also on the living environment, right? Like, Think about your living environment. It's most, it's especially for Black folks living here in the States, it's mostly impoverished. Yeah. It's housing, it's pollution, it's, you know, you have maybe some semi-natural green spaces, you have hella traffic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it stark, right? Like, it's, everything feels neglected, and I, and I feel like we feel it, which is why we're not taking the time to sort of reclaim our Earth back. And we really need to do that. We really need to make space and time for the world that we live in. Um, we also need to take back our ability to to, to, to to fight back, especially when people decide that they want to put a power plant here or another um, highway here. Like we have to sort of own that and be like, no, here are the reasons why you can't do it. We're going to show up to this town hall meeting and, and like, we don't want this here and here's why. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't keep polluting the areas you live in. Yeah. You just can't keep building on top of this and that and this and making water. You know what I mean? Like, like you can't keep doing this. Water has to be accessible for all people. Can't drink 
with lead in our, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we can't drink lead water for God's sake. Yeah. Um, so there's just so many questions and I feel like all of these things are just super intertwined. And I think we need to spend more time, um, you know, talking about the physical environment and um, in a way to combat everything that's happening socially. It's very interesting. As we kind of are winding down, but I just want to also add that, you know, when you're talking about the environment and, and having to pick between water and electricity, it was interesting because when I was doing, I did my master's thesis on water scarcity and its effect on transnational uh, Nigerian immigrants. And essentially, mm. I was trying, yeah, I was trying to figure out, you know, if now that Nigerians are in the United States, like what would they give their money back to in order to help Africa? Would you rather give your money back to water scarcity or like, what would you want to give your money back to knowing that this issue exists here in the United States? I mean, exists in, in, in Nigeria. And a lot of them were like, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, using layman's terms, they were like, F the water, like we need electricity. <laughs> and I was like, really? like, you know, it was, it was so fascinating to kind of see that a lot of them care. They didn't care about the water because maybe it's because now they're in the United States and they were like, hey, you know, water's everywhere. Turn on the faucet. It's cool. But but they, a lot of them were like, well, if we have consistent electricity, then I think we'll be able to find a means to be able to have a consistent way of being able to clean our water. And I was like, okay. You know, at that point, I was like, fair enough. But it just, it just kind of resonates with me now that there's all the other things that come into play when it comes to the environment, particularly in Africa. But as uh-huh. you mentioned, you know, just kind of as we sum up, like we have been conditioned from a very young age, especially I'm going to speak directly to you in this regard, knowing that you grew up, at least you spent eight years of your life in Africa, you know, re- growing up there, you it was nothing short of you drink something, throw it out the window, <laughs> especially if you're driving or like, oh, you, you know, if you drink a bottle of, you know, you drink a bottle of water or you drink a Capri Sun, like I was raised in nigeria to just just throw it out like don't put it in the garbage just throw it out the window you know it'll figure itself out and then you come to the u.s and you don't learn anything about it until you get exposed to it somehow some way in college it just makes it very difficult in a developed country you're talking about right so we have a long way to go but i do think at some point the earth is going to speak back and i think it's not going to be a good it's not going to be a good message once the earth decides to speak back about what's going on with her or, or them regardless. So that's that's just very interesting. But um, I just want to ask one last question because I think, you know, that having you on the show has been very, very enlightening, but it's also fascinating. And one of the fewer times that I can actually say that I have someone who's, who is an African immigrant that lived in the United States, that lived in China, that has all these connections to multiple nations, you have so much influence and, you know, the, I, I'll use the word power in a sense because I believe that the greatest form of intelligence is being able to communicate with people on multiple levels. And when you're able to communicate in various languages, you have a lot of opportunity to impact people. So I want to know, like, how, what would, what do you, when it's all said and done for you, what do you want your lasting impact to be? Oh, <laughs> I just had a wave of like, <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that's a that's a question there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I had to throw it at you, sis. I had to throw it at you because it's important. There's goosebumps all over. Um, and <laughs> you asked me a legacy question, okay? Like, yes, I that's did. A, I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I 
Uh, I'm just, man, I'm going to have to take a minute. Excuse me. Let me uh, take this in. Because I actually have been thinking about this during quarantine. Okay. <laughs> so you kind of got me at a good, at a good time. Um, but as far as, I obviously have my passions uh, in, you know, I, I think you're able to tell that there are a couple of things that I really like talking about. Um, one of them has to do with China. The other one has to do um, with the environment. But I think both of these have so much to do with just being like cross-cultural communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I love that we can talk about our issues um, and have exchange on them and be able to sort of go back home and work on set issues. And I think I did that a lot while I was in, um, in China, too. Uh, you know, being there and looking at the way that that the government was able to sort of do an entire shift where people were caring more and more about the environment, um, both in the urban and rural setting. Um, you know, like, where can I take that? Like, how can we do something similar back home um, in Cameroon, right? Like, how do we get civil society involvement in urban sanitation? Like, those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like all of the questions that I try to explore in my research or in my personal relationships have to do with, you know, taking what you need from things um, and and giving. And I think all of that has to do with cross-cultural communication, yeah. right? Like being able to, 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 to talk to people about, you know, struggles and, and things of that nature. Um but I also would like for us just in general, I really want us to pay more attention to what's happening with climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, like I really want us to do that yeah, yeah. Um, because like it impacts every single part of our lives. Like we're talking about transportation emissions need to go down. Um, power sector emissions need to go down. Mm-hmm. You need to reduce emissions in our farming practices. And our, you know what I mean? There's so many different things and they're so intertwined. Like I'm so happy that you mentioned water and electricity because both of those things go together you know what i mean like um you could talk about it in a hydroelectric dam context Mm -hmm. but then also just life right being able to go to school having access to electricity for school purposes having access to water for drinking and sanitation purposes you know what i mean like all of these things are intertwined but more so now than ever we really need to pay attention to, to, to climate change. And I hope that, you know, people go back and sort of do the research on that, find out ways that they can do things at home, find out ways that we can do, um, you can do things through voting and things of that nature. And even for those who are back in the diaspora, like, you know what I mean? Like there's so, there's a lot of kids doing a lot of really cool work um, in, in Kenya and Uganda when it comes to the environment. Um, so, you know, obviously look those kids up, like, like we can do so much, but I think we have to be super dedicated and we have to ask questions, people who are living in different parts of the world and find out best practices that way. Mm. Um, and, 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 and I really hope we do. Yeah. I think that's just a good way to kind of sum it up. Um, I think, again, the message that resonates with me is that, you know, we can talk about the racism and some of the intercultural, I mean, intercultural and intercultural differences that exist between us as human beings, but even for Black people, it's important for y'all to hear this message for those who are listening. Like, it's still your earth. Like, you still live on this earth, y'all. You like, really do. You, you got you you really to do, do something about it. Do not just 
do not use this opportunity to say this is white people's stuff. Like this because is your stuff not. too. This is your and stuff can too. I just, can I just jump in right quick? Jump in I, real this quick. Is, Tag team I'm, I'm actually so glad that you mentioned that this is white people's stuff because I have heard that so many times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I would like to just quickly debunk it. Um, so uh, whenever you get a chance, look up where a lot of the interstate highways are located. Um, look up the amount of fam or especially black families who have access to electric vehicles. Like so many things you can look at, and that's just from a transportation point of view. Look at where a lot of the environmental dumping is, right? Look at those spaces. That's in your backyard. Like if, if you are a person who lives in America and if you are a black person, the likelihood of you have an environmental dump in your backyard or in your neighborhood just is incredibly likely. Mm. This is not white people's problem. This is our problem. And if we don't engage in it, we will like we will not be part of the transition that is in, un, inevitably going to happen mm. because I believe in people like AOC that are going to make it happen and the hundreds of environmental organizers who live in the South and who are tra- trying to make this happen. Either they're making sure solar is accessible to black families, mm-hmm. right, through financing, mm-hmm. or making sure um, that's a government extends tax breaks or incentives for, for these communities. You know what I mean? This is not a white people problem. This is a human problem. And for the, and I, and I think for the first time in my generation, I'm able to sort of see that like, like if we don't all do something about this, we're all going to have a lot of problems. All of us, not just people who live on coastal lands, right? Because what happens whenever those coastal lands, um, like something happens to them, they start moving in. What mm-hmm. happens if too many people live in one area? Like there's just so many, like, like, you know what I mean? Like there's so many ways for us to, 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 to talk about this. But what I'm trying to get at is like, we're, this is where it's all incredibly intertwined and we are so connected. Yeah. You cannot run from this problem. You are also a part of it. Yeah. Um, so that's just my quick... <laughs> little tidbit that I'd like to share there, but I think it's so important for us to not distance ourselves from that. Absolutely. So, man, I, this was, yo, this is so dope. Um, Stephanie, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you so much um, as we kind of wrap up right now. Thank you so much for joining the show. Now, before I, you know, before I let you go, I just want to know, is there any way that people can reach you if people wanted to connect, you know, network with you? Because you might have some people in grad school or people who may be having the same passion as you and might want to connect. How can people reach you? Please, I'm happy to connect. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram, actually, at KMamie. It means Black Beautiful Woman. So, quick side note: in Chinese, there's this thing that you say to talk to a woman. You say "by me It means like "by is white." It means oh, you are like your your white skinned beautiful woman. So I decided that I wanted to go by "Hey Mamie," and it took it took a lot of Chinese people by <laughs> by surprise because it's like not a natural saying. Uh-huh. Um, but here it is. Follow me. It's H M E I M E I N U. Um, I'm also, I can also be found on LinkedIn if you look up Jackie Nicole. Okay. So it's Jackie's together. Nicole is, it's all of it together. And then okay. Iyoko, spelled E-Y-O-C-K-O. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, if you have any questions or if you want to exchange on passions, like I'm happy to chat about it. Um, but then also I'd like to thank you so, so, so much for having me on this podcast today. I was, to be honest, I was a little like shy 
Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I really appreciate your grace. Um, and I appreciate you for giving me the space to talk about the issues that I find um, really important. So thank you. Thank really. You. Thank you very much. I just want to let you know that we are all smarter for talking with you. So I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate your time and your effort. And um, I hope that we can, we get to do this again um, sometime in the future. So that's going to do it for this episode of My Black is Transnational. I'd like to thank Stephanie for joining me and gisting with me for almost an hour. Um, just having a rich conversation. Uh, such an amazing person. And uh, thank you, Stephanie, for just spending time and sharing your knowledge and your insight with us and your passion. And congratulations again. I know that the world will present so many opportunities for someone as talented as you are with so much at their disposal. Um, so we are wrapping up we have one more episode before the season is over uh so again for those of y'all who are listening to this for the first time there's so many episodes this is the second season of my black is transnational you can binge watch i always say binge watch you can binge listen to past episodes or any episode that you prefer on any of your favorite podcast listening apps any platform that you like you can find this episode wherever you find good podcasts. I strongly recommend that you listen to it from the beginning till now. You, you'll notice a lot of changes and evolution. And that's the fun part of this little thing of mine or little thing of ours, I should say. Uh, it's been good. And the next episode will be the season finale. I hope that you all will be able to join me for that as I wrap up season two and talk about the plans and what we try to do moving forward for season three. Okay. So, again... If you like to reach us, you can find us at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. We're also on Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast. You can follow me, the host, at Black Transnational underscore, or you can just email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. Okay, so that'll do it. I got to run, but I'll be back next week. So until then... Until next time, thank you for listening. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. My black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace. <laughs>